Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm Stacy Martin. I am glad you're here. We have got such a treat today. Today, we are joined by my friend Steve Brown, who's the associate pastor at the South Park campus. And Steve has a unique background that is going to be so valuable for our conversation today. We're talking about finding margin in our money, finding margin in our finances. And in this series, um, margin really is the definition of margin really is finding space to be able to respond to God. And I think about what that means for money. So Steve's background, this is what I love about Steve's background. Steve has been at Forest Hill for a long time. 31 years. 31 years. Yeah. You were an elder for a long time. Yes, I was. A deacon at one point. A deacon. Yeah, I don't know if I was a great deacon, but I was a deacon there for a little while. I bet you were a great yeah, deacon. Yeah, I was really busy during that time, so well, yeah, I did the best I could. You were busy because you yeah. worked at Bank of America in yeah, finance uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for that a was long it. time. Yes, I did. Yes. When I met Steve, we we were responding to something in the media about finances, and oh, you yeah. were... You were my go-to guy to talk about stewardship at Forest Hill. That's exactly right. Yeah. And now yeah. you're on staff. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun little interview, by the way. That so, was. Yeah. You did such a good job. I, my first time on local broadcast news, <laughs> so uh, I hope I answered the questions okay. <laughs> I think you did. That's okay. a, now. That's that was your training to be on the podcast. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here because I think money is such a weird topic to talk about in church. Yeah. Like it's it's one of those services that if you know your pastor is Gary talk about money you you have you come down with a cold like yeah. you know it always feels <laughs> right. weird right. either because you have debt of your own or yeah. or just you feel like you're going to be yeah. asked for something that you can't quite get right. it's just it's just really really messy right why do you think it's right. important that we talk about money at church well a couple of reasons one Jesus talked about it so it was a topic that he covered a lot Matter of fact, I think of like 40 parables. I, I read once 10 of them were on money. So he talked about the kingdom of God, but almost the second most important subject was money because he knew it would be a rival God for us in our life. And not only did he talk about it, but throughout scriptures, God comes back to where is your heart? Where is your treasure? What are you putting your focus on? And he knew, even back in the Old Testament times, when it wasn't measured by coins, it was measured by like how many goats and cows you had, mm -hmm. right? But even back then, people would define themselves sometimes by the material possessions they had. And so Jesus really understood we need to get a firm, good foundation perspective on our material possessions and understand it. So, one, Jesus talked about it, so we need to understand if we're going to follow him, we need to understand what he's saying. Also, for me, it's just real life. I mean, when we come to church, we're putting on no pretense. We want to understand what is life about and our lives because what is around us and what consumes us is financial pressures. Well, and why segment one thing? You know, I think a lot of times in church we feel like we have to segment it out. You know, right. like you can't talk about money, you can't talk about sex, you can't talk about politics. Like it's got to be. But if faith and life, if it's all done right. together, then why would we segment out certain we things? We shouldn't because it all blends together. But the thing I love about this series is it's talking about aspects of our life. And if you think about time and money, they're very related. Because if you're chasing the dollar, if you feel this pressure to have to earn more, guess what is going to now be scarce in your life? could be time. And mm -hmm. so to be able to blend all of that together and have a total faith perspective on our money, our time, our families, our relationships, it, it, it all comes together. And what I t said again was real life. This is real life. So in church, we have a tendency to use churchy words 
Or yeah. we take normal words and we make them churchy, like fellowship. Yeah. No one says, come over to my house so we can fellowship. <laughs> right, right. Stewardship is yeah. one of those words. Yeah. You know, we say, we talk about, well, we, we want to steward that well. Yeah, and you probably don't hear that a lot in the secular society, so right? So what yeah. is stewardship? Yeah. yeah, so that word, the Greek word was a couple of different meanings. It really means manager or overseer, even one sense it's treasurer. So the idea here is that you are overseeing or managing something when you steward it. And that's that's interesting to think about in terms of what Jonathan talked about and really cuts to the heart of the issue because he says a lot of times our issue with money is that we feel like we own it. And that, that becomes the problem, right? When we own it, think about what we say. It's my money. I'll do what I want to with it. And if I want to spend it foolishly or I want to hoard it or whatever we do that's dysfunctional, and listen, I'm in this same camp a lot of times, it's because we feel we own it when, in fact, it's all a blessing. It's all a gift from God. He, it's his creation. He has given it to us. And then guess what he invites us to do? He invites us to come in and steward it to oversee what is really his possessions. What, what a blessing when you think about it that way. I think that's such a unique perspective on money because I know on my most selfish days when I really want something, yeah. I'm like, I worked hard for this money. I'm, like, <laughs> right. I'm going to buy that right. because I worked hard and it, this is my money. That, I mean, that is my, oh. that is my go-to. Yes. When I think all of our go-tos, when we want yes. something, yes. when we confuse, when we, and we're going to talk about this a little later on yes. about what it feels like when wants and needs drive our purpose. Right. But one right. of the things about money, and before we dive into this, I think we've got to talk about the the baggage that comes with money in churches. Yeah. And you know, we are in Charlotte, and Charlotte has a long history of televangelists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye, mm-hmm. you know, the PTL, where there was a lot of this prosperity gospel, where yeah. um, specifically televangelists would say things like, sow a seed to your need, you know, donate $25 and you'll get it back $25, you know, a blessing 25 times over. Yeah. And so. And then it keeps going up from there. By the way, I, I read the magic number is actually $1,000. You will see a lot of televangelists try to get people to $1,000, and if you can reach that level, Wow. Isn't that crazy? I know, right. Well, that's what's been in the media a lot, is you see these big-time megachurch or televangelists that are really kind of preying on people's finances to further their own ministry. So let's let's kind of dig in there, because I want to make sure we are addressing that. Yeah, yeah. What is the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel basically says that if you give to God, and more specifically, many times to an institution that is representing God— that you will be materially blessed, that you, mm. that you will have abundance because of your gift to what purportedly is the kingdom of God. And so it's this kind of quid pro quo. That means I give something and I get something back that is the prosperity gospel. And you'll see uh, a lot of pressure with that. Like It will make you feel like, oh, I have to do this in order to have God's blessing. And so... There, there are a number of issues with, with, with this. Well, why, why isn't the prosperity gospel something that Forrest Hill believes in? Well, here, here's, I'll give you a few reasons. One, it's not grace. It's not grace. Uh, in other words, we believe that our life, that our eternal life, our relationship with God is all a gift. 
And anytime you hear something that I have to do something in order to get God's favor, that is grace plus something, and we don't believe in that. We believe that that God's gift is truly all because he gave it to us. It's grace. And so it actually is, when you think about the prosperity gospel, it, it is a crushing gospel. Well, it, it brings it cr- shame. Yes. Because you think about it, if yes. I don't get God's favor, I think about um, the women I know who struggle with infertility or people who haven't been healed. And it's like, well, if I do my part, then I will have earned the gift of healing or the gift of... Or if I've lost my job and I do this and I and I give this amount of money, then I'll get a job with a better salary. And and we know it, life just doesn't work. It that doesn't, way. and so yeah. you get caught in this shame cycle. Totally, and that's not from God. Oh my goodness, no! It's not what grace is all about at all. And so people give this money or do these things like you talked about, and then have this expectation, and that's where we get in trouble. We we expect now something is going to happen in life sometimes. That's, that's God's providence. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes in his sovereignty, he sees that. And sometimes it's not best for us to have that thing that we think we need and we don't get it. And then all of a sudden we're disillusioned. And that's, that's primarily why it's, it's not grace. But also, let's just think about this logically. What, what is a gift? Mm-hmm. A gift is something that you give without expectation of what may be coming back. Now, I know at Christmas we give and we expect another thing, but when it really feels right, when a gift feels right, you're giving it and you just want the joy of that receiver to have that joy because you have given it. Well, now when you put in some condition of you're going to get something back, it discounts the gift. It almost annihilates the notion of Man. a gift. And it really what you're doing is you're purchasing something. You're buying something. There is almost an expectation that when I give this gift, I get something in return, and it discounts. It takes away the joy of that gift. Well, there's that's not even relational. I mean, that right. relationship, when you're having to buy, when you feel like you're buying God's affection, yes. that intimate relationship, that abiding, we've talked about that in series past and even in this series, that when we talk about in the abundant life of Christ, you know, having this abundance, it doesn't mean abundance of stuff. right. It's, That's right. it's totally different. It's, a, right. it's an eternal abundance. That's right. Because we define what abundance is, right, on our own. And we define abundance as I got a comfortable house, I got a comfortable job, I got a comfortable whatever it is without, okay, the real definition of abundance is a life filled with joy that only God can fill. Well, Jonathan even talked about some of this. We, we co opt the phrase or the definition of abundance to be this possession obsession. Mm. Why do you think? We are a culture of people obsessed with our possessions. Well, I can talk about this personally, right? I, I fall into this trap many times. Certainly it is the pressure that we see around us. It, it is what we watch and then are marketed to, and we get into the mindset, and we can all relate to this, I think, of I got to have it. I, I got to have this thing. I, I, I got to have a new car because it's got a better Bluetooth that I can listen to my podcast. <laughs> like <laughs> and this you one. should, and you should, uh, just by talking to it or whatever the mm-hmm. thing is. I got to have this piece of clothing because it will make me look better. I've got to have this addition on my house because, good knows, I can't live in my house the way it is. I've got to have this addition to it. And it, it, let me be very careful. It's not the stuff that's bad. Jonathan said this yesterday. It's not money that's evil. It's not possessions that's evil. It's where our heart goes to that gets us in trouble. Not that our hearts are evil, but it takes our eyes off the abundance 
and the good things of God. And so we get into this, I got a habit. We get obsessed with it. And then all of a sudden it leads us into dysfunctional financial decisions, right? Uh, At some point we can't afford it. We have enough cash for it. And then it's, I got to have it. And I'm willing to pull out that credit card and use it and figure out how I'm going to pay for it later. And then all of a sudden we do enough of those and we're in trouble. How do you feel like the need for more, the want for more, blinds us to other people's needs? Well, it becomes uh, obviously a selfish kind of thing, right? It it says, okay, I've got to have this, and I'm not sure I can recognize what other people need Mm -hmm. or what they got to have. And so it it blinds us to uh, the injustice that's in the world. it also can get us into debt, and, and I'm going to go here a little early. It, it gets us, as I mentioned, doing things that maybe we won't, don't want to do, gets us into debt, and then we are, are slave to that debt. Yeah. And so then how can you give out of anything else? Because you've got to keep paying that debt back. And literally it says in the Bible that the debtor is slave to the lender. Mm. And so the lender, you know, the lender actually owns your home. The lender actually owns your car. Uh, if you don't pay your credit card back, your credit score goes down and has all these impacts. And so we have the weight on this, the weight of all of this debt. And how, how could we possibly, out of any excess, recognize how to give to others? And if margin is being is having the space to be able to respond when God leads. I, I was mm. in my quiet time. I was reading in First um, Samuel, mm. and it was the part of, of Scripture where um, Samuel is a young man who is um, living in the temple with Eli the prophet, and um, he is in the middle of the night. He hears his voice. Mm. He hears this voice, and he mm. thinks it's his mentor. He thinks it's Eli, and he goes and he's he's like, oh, "It's me, it's me." And Eli's like, "No, that wasn't me." You go back to bed. And what he finds out is that it was God calling him. Mm. And by listening to God's voice, Samuel says, here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. Mm. And that made me think so much about margin mm. because if if we don't have ears to hear, if, if our heart's not in the place, we never hear it and we can't respond. Right. So thinking about that with our finances, right. if right. I am deaf to the, the sound of the Lord calling me because I am slave to the debt monster. Right. That's all I can hear is, right. you owe this amount of money, your your minimum balance is due, this over. Right. You cannot say, here I am, Lord, I'm right. listening, right. because you are just tuned right. into another voice that says, you want more, you need more, you owe more. Totally. You want more, you need more, you owe more. And it, it is vicious. And it consumes you. And it consumes, and it creeps over, like I said, into your time. Now I've got to work. I've got to do more. I've got to figure out more about how to manage this whole financial situation. I've got to focus on that. And now all that, that load. Remember they talk about the load versus your limit. That load is so full that it's come to your limit. And you're not, you're not free to see the other things of God. Well, how do contentment and gratitude play a role in all of this? Yeah. You know, he, here's the thing. Um, I find myself, when I'm not content, wanting other things. And, <laughs> right, it's because I'm not content with what I have at this moment. Going back to the examples again, I, I've become bored with whatever. And we're, we're programmed to do that. If you watch enough of the market, it's like you need this new thing to make your life better. And so all of a sudden, I'm not content with that. And I'm not content because I haven't taken that time to say, well, look what God's given me. And let's go back, let's go back to the very beginning. He's given us a life. He, he did, out of his sovereignty, that didn't have to happen. 
but it did. And so we should be grateful that we just woke up this morning and had this wonderful life to live. Now, on top of that, I had a bed to get out of. I had coffee that I could drink this morning. I had a car, even though it's an older car with 150,000. I had that to get here. I, I have all kinds of stuff that if I just take that time, I should be grateful for. And then all of a sudden, I'm more content with what I have. Now, when you left, we were just talking about before uh, we started rolling here. So you had been at Bank of America for a long time. Yeah. So there came a day where you told yeah. your coworkers, yeah. your team, I am no longer going to be yeah. in, I must use yeah. the term lucrative. Yeah. I don't really yeah. know, but corporate yeah. world is more lucrative than ministry typically. It, 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 it was, yes. It typically, <laughs> yes, typically yes. word on we the street. I won't get into all that. <laughs> but so, you know, you're not supposed to talk about that at parties. You're dinner. not, yeah, yeah right, you're not yeah. dinner parties. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Uh, but so one day you tell your coworkers, listen, this career has been great, but I am leaving to yeah. go to ministry. Yeah. Let me let me go back into the backstory a little bit more. Yeah. So I was at Bank of America 14 years, but um, I came out, I'm a CPA. I'm still a CPA. I, I don't know why I'm still a CPA. Like I have to do stuff every Doing year. Doing taxes for Jesus. I guess, you know, I, I, if this gig doesn't work out or something, maybe I, I, not really. Pray for people while they submit their yeah, taxes. Yeah, I don't know. I just like to keep it for whatever reason. I don't use that at the end of my name or anything. But I was in a, an accounting firm, and then I worked for several banks. And because I was willing to move, I would be compensated for that. So head owners would call, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to Atlanta, moving my family down to Atlanta. We're making this sacrifice. And over time, you can build up a pride through that, right? Oh, that, gosh, yeah. That's like, I've worked hard for this. I've sacrificed for this. I've done all of this stuff to get this accumulation, get this great job, make all this money, et cetera. And that's where the pride builds in at mm. some point. And, and so then for you to walk away, and go, okay, God, you're calling me to something different. Listen, I struggled with this for eight years. This was not something really? that... Oh, yeah. This was not something that like, okay, I feel the call and I'm going. You know, when, when I got the call, I was like 42 years old. And I heard clearly, hey, Steve, I've been calling you for some time. Actually, eight years is probably a discount. It, yeah. it actually probably comes back further than that to just be scary here a second. And so he was calling me all this time and I said... You have got to be kidding me. You want me to walk away from all of this? Right. Yeah. I, I got a, I, I got a mortgage. I got kids. They're going to be going, going to college. college yeah. I got a, and really what I'm saying is I've got a certain lifestyle, Lord, that I'm not willing to give up yet. Just mm. to get down to the bare bones honesty here, right? Well, I think that feeling, I think we all have that. I, I'm not. I've got a lifestyle here that I'm not ready right, to give up. Right, and I'm not. You know, we're not asking you to sell it all. It's not no. that thing where it, you know you have to vow have, poverty. Yes, yes. And listen, it, it, I don't want to ever, when I share my story, make people feel like, oh, if I'm not in full time ministry, I'm not in ministry. That is not the case at all. I was a unique, specific example. I had a background that kind of gave me some reasoning to do this. Listen, people are with people 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and that is their gospel ground. Mm -hmm. They need to be okay. sharing that. And that they spend far more time than any of us pastors do. And so your calling is your occupation to do that job well and to be a testimony of your story of Christ in the workplace. And so people should do that. But yes, when I, when I said, okay, I'm going into the gospel, I'd get these looks like I'm to ministry, people would say, yeah. Uh, okay. That sounds good. But how countercultural? I mean, right. whether you work in finance or not, to right. say, I'm actually going to take a financial step back. Right. Like I'm going to. I'm making a decision right. to not 
be able to keep up this lifestyle. Right. And I think, you know, even if we look at the tithe, um, and I loved how Jonathan talked about the tithe, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later too, is that what we, giving your first fruits, like the top 10% off of your, is countercultural. Right. Like to say that I'm going to give 10% of my salary or my, or, you know, back in the day of my chickens, my goats, like I'm going to give that a back to God because yeah. he gave it to me first is yeah. countercultural. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's hard. it. And that's actually how it started. He said ten percent of your of your livestock. It's countercultural because I think we think about God's instructions the wrong way. Oh. I, we we see them all as some kind of law that we've got to follow from this dictator that's trying to push this stuff down on us. Yep. When in fact his laws, his guidance is for our good, right? And so he is saying all throughout the Bible, listen, money is going to be a struggle for you. You're going to want to because of society and because the power it represents, you're always going to run toward it and it be the object of your affection. And so here's one thing I'm going to suggest to you, that the first amount of your money you're willing to give up. Because if you're willing to give up that first amount of money, you're actually going to be free with all of it. And so that is the point we need to get to, to be free with our money, to say, God, you've given me plenty, or you've given me a little, or you've given me medium. I'm good with all of it. By the way, here's the first part of it, just so I can be free in that. See, I think that's what's so hard about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Okay, so we look at the Old Testament, and for years, I didn't want to read it. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't sexy uh, enough. You yeah. know, like the New Testament feels a lot better. Uh, I can uh, put New Testament stuff on coffee mugs. Like I feel good about the New Testament. There's yeah. some red letters. Jesus is talking. <laughs> the Old Testament, I'm like, what in the world are yeah. all these rules and laws and like Deuteronomy yeah, and yeah. Leviticus and it yeah. just... Why do people have to leave the camp and uh, yes. go through all the ceremony and the steps and unclean and clean? Clean, and unclean, and this is what you give to the temple. And right. But to hear it like that, that God from the very beginning says, I put these boundaries in place because I love you so much that I already see what you're going to struggle with. Yes. Like I think about the right. story, again, in the Old Testament of Moses and Aaron. And, you know, the, the people, the whole Old Testament really is God delivering the people and the people forgetting. Mm-hmm. You know, they love yeah. God and they're like, woohoo! Right. I remember, I remember all the ways. And then 20 right. minutes later, they forget. They're fickle. They're yeah. fickle. They, like, and we look at that and we like, how could they be that way? And then we look at we, our life and like, okay. Exactly. We're, we're and so, yeah, Aaron comes down and all the people basically make a golden calf to worship. Right. God has just delivered them. They have all these great memories. They, they, they right. have connected to God in such an incredible way and they forget and they make a golden calf to worship. Right. And God's like, this is why I make these rules right. because you will turn your back and you will worship the God of money faster than anything. It's a very fascinating story. Um, I, I was able to study that in seminary and, you know, I mean, put yourself in the context of these people. We look at that and we laugh and we're like, how could they? A golden calf? Why would you? Yeah. When he split split the Red Sea, he's done all these plagues. He's plagued the Egyptians, and none of it impacted the Israelites. And so you're like, how could they? How could they forget? How could they forget? And in the context of that day, okay, Moses has gone 40 days. They don't know when he's coming back. And they're like, we need a God. And, 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 you know, we know in our life we will worship something. And this points back to the fact that they needed something to worship. And so they're like, okay, we, we need something here. We got to do something on our own. And this is where we get in trouble, right? We have to do something on our own to get access back to some God 
even if it's our God, that we have to create. And so they coax Aaron into making this calf. And here's the really interesting part of the story. So Moses comes back down, and he's like, Aaron, what did you just do? And Aaron says, I I don't know. I just threw this stuff in the fire, and out came a calf. (laughs) Come on, Aaron. But it's true in our own life. Yeah. We, We see this stuff, and we know. And this is not to put a guilt trip on anybody, but we know and we go, oh, that's not a problem of mine. Well, I it's think, not a problem I of mine. I think about that with debt. All of a sudden, you look at your credit card statement and you're like, how did this happen? Right. How did I get $500, right. $1,000, right. $20,000? Like, we I get hate, in denial. Yeah. We do get in denial. And it yeah. is it is, to, it is that 40-day waiting period where we're like, I don't know. I don't, God, I don't know when you're going to show up again. I'm going to take mm-hmm. matters into my own hands. That's right. I don't know how he got here. That's right. That's I remember right. that in uh, college, you know, they're they're giving away all the free credit cards that you get a cool T-shirt with. And yeah. all of a sudden. It gets you early. It de- get, gets you early. I graduated from college, and I had $5,000 worth of debt wow. on my credit card. Yeah. And I thought, how yeah. did this happen? And I didn't wow. really have anything to show for it. Yeah. Maybe some new clothes. Maybe, like, a trip I went on with some friends. <laughs> right. Uh, you know. Right. Right. Quickly, all that stuff kind of goes away, and, and now you're faced with the reality. And all of a sudden, it's, I don't know yeah. how this, I don't know where this golden calf came from. I don't know where this visa <laughs> debt right. came from. That's right. That's exactly right. We get into trouble pretty quickly just because we overextend ourselves, and it has farther implications. Plus, today, I feel so sorry for our students because student debt is Im- quickly emerging as a crisis in our nation. I, absolutely. Yeah, and so not only do you have this credit card debt, but you've got this educational debt, which you have to do. I mean, listen, I, I understand that, and I'm not saying don't go to school and don't incur that debt, but just realize there's obligations already for many coming right out of the gate. And so you you have to plan carefully, seek God's wisdom, seek the wisdom of others so that you don't get yourself into trouble right from well, the Well, let's tap into your Jesus-loving CPA mind here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, I've never heard it described that way. I love that. Jesus-loving <laughs> CPA. So I'm hearing this message. I'm somebody on the other side of, uh, of the speaker here, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to be in debt. I, I do, I understand it's a heart condition to be able, I feel like my heart's in the right place. I'm ready yeah. to live a life of contentment, gratitude, and generosity. So Jonathan talked about even looking at your, your spending. Yeah. So how do you know yeah. right off the bat if you are looking at your spending that something's out of alignment? Well, first of all, um, am I giving? I always start there, am I giving? And listen, you, we say 10%. You need to pray to God what, what that dollar, that is a personal choice between you and God. Mm -hmm. And so you need to pray. What is that level? But first of all, am I giving? Because if I'm giving, it is, like I said before, showing that you have some freedom with your finances. You're you're giving it first to God. And that you're willing to surrender. I mean, I think it all goes back to surrender, right? That that you're surrendering it. Yeah. And so uh, he talked about looking at your bank statements. You don't even have to do that. You know what you're giving, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of look at that. The second thing is, am I in debt? What is my level of debt? How much of my money is actually going out to just cover my debt expenses at this point? 
And then, then in some way, uh, he mentioned looking at your bank statement. I would make some practical suggestions. You, you can do that. Look at your bank statement. You can use Excel. Quicken is a great program if you can afford that. If you can't, then just look at your bank statement and write it down on a sheet of paper. And you need to decide what is discretionary versus need. And that's a different definition for every and single person. And discretionary meaning I just am spending on what stuff I want, not it, stuff that I actually need to correct, survive. Correct. Yeah. And uh, like I said, it's different for every person. Some people think they need 20 shoes. <laughs> I, yep. ooh, I'm stepping on toes there. Yeah, but, your, your wife is like, I think yeah, that was that at was least, a bad Steve. example. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Nancy. Uh, yeah, I need go- okay, for me, I need an extra golf club. I need a yeah. new driver, okay? Do I really need a new driver? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and it's not to fit, make you feel guilty. Again, the money's not evil, but uh, what is discretionary and what is neat? you got to have food. So you got to determine, okay, what's the right amount of food, but do I need to eat at a number of fancy restaurants Mm -hmm. four or five times a month? Okay, maybe I don't need that. So Mm -hmm. you really got to get tactical with it. And we've got some tools here at the church. Uh, So Mitch Jones is here, and he can help. So just contact him, or we offer Dave Ramsey classes that can give you some structure to make those assessments. I have a friend who swears by Dave Ramsey's uh, Personal Finance University. Really? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's like people that go through it and are diligent with it, it's life-changing. It's life-changing because now they're given tools in a biblical context of how to manage your your finances, and uh, it, it gives you freedom uh, both in the gospel and financially. How have you talked to your kids? Because you've got two Yeah, two I've got kids? a 24 and a 23. So how have you talked to them about finances and generosity? Because, I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're kids now yeah. that, I mean, they're adults now. They're out on their own. Like, yeah, how, well, how did you, you do that? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, my wife's a CPA. Not unfortunately. She does well. She's a CPA uh, and, and is doing really, really good. She's a partner in a CPA firm. Um, and we tended to talk too much about money. I, and mm-hmm. so my son is a finance major, and he was all down with that. He was good with talking about that because we liked talking about our business and stuff like that. Yeah. My daughter's an artsy type. Like, she, she is. She's uh, my people. She, she, yeah, she's I think she probably is. Yeah, she's very creative with food and things like that. And so interesting story behind her, I can tell you another time. But anyway, um, so she would always be like, can y'all quit talking about money? So we probably talked about money too much. But here are some principles I would give. And, and by the way, this applies to wherever your kids are. Don't feel guilty if your kids are growing in your past this stage. But a couple things we did. One, we, we modeled the giving model to them. Uh, uh, okay we're serious about giving this tithe. And so they knew very well that we did that. But we also wanted them to experience that early. And so we would give them chores, even at four, five, six years old, we would give them chores to which we would give them some kind of small token for, so $10, $20. But then put an envelope aside that was, okay, you got $10, let's put the dollar in and then go give that at Big Kids this week. And so it was just a way for them to get into practice that first experience of I'm giving my first fruits to God. That's good. That's yeah. I, we need to instill that in our own home. Okay. We we do not do a good we do a we do a good job of tithing yeah. in the sense of we've made it a priority and we haven't always, but in yeah. in years um, in the last so many years we've said you know what we've we've come through some t- tough times where my husband's been out of work and we said you know what we we're still going to tithe like even though. Mm-hmm. You don't have a job right now. Mm. We're depending on my paycheck. You know, we're still going to tithe, mm. even if it's just off the little. Wow, that's um, sacrifice. Well, we we had not always lived that way, yeah. and we knew it was a heart thing, so we wanted yeah. to change it. But we never really, because our kids are at an age, a young age, 
to talk about that, you yeah. know, but yeah. but they do take offering in kids' church. Yeah. So that's something that we can do at home yeah. that we've not yeah. done yet. So. Yeah, put put that in. And, you know, if your kids are buying, continue to talk to them and, and have those conversations. I listen to these Andy Stanley podcasts, and he has all these great parenting ideas, and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd have done that. <laughs> I missed it. I missed right, it. Right. You know, they're, kid, they're your kids, even at 24 and 23, that you can have those conversations and engage with them about the things of God and the things that can help their life. But so much of it I do think is modeled. I think back to my mom and dad, and I don't really ever remember having budgeting conversations with them, but I yeah. remember as a kid, my mom living by the envelope system. Mm. So mm-hmm. on her dresser, she had mm-hmm. like five envelopes, mm-hmm. and there was cash in it. And one was marked groceries, Debbie spending, Gary spending. It's a great and, method. And that's what they did because yeah. my dad was working in sales. He was on commission. Yeah. My mom had taught but was staying at home with us, and they would cash his paycheck and break yeah. it into envelopes. And once yeah. the money was gone, it was gone. Yeah, it's actually a great technique that's taught a lot of times. If you if you can't control your credit card spending, go to the cash envelope method. Now, it's not for everyone. I, it, credit cards are great if you can use them wisely because they give you points and rewards. And so take advantage of that, but also be able to pay that thing down every month. And if you can't do that, then you need to use another system that puts you on more discipline. Well, so a lot of times we feel like, you know, you read the the verses in Scripture that say, you know, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust are going to be eaten away, but store them up in heaven. So does that mean we should not be worrying about saving or investments? No, we should. We should. Well, I wouldn't worry about them, but I would be diligent in that because you do need to to put things in the store. So even Joseph, who had a dream, said, hey— there are years of famine coming, and he did a great thing for the world, not just Egypt, but they supplied the world at that point. And so he said, for these seven years of prosperity, we need to be putting things in the storehouse for that rainy day. Listen, here's what I know, and I, I can go off on this subject for a long time. I'm a CNBC junkie. I hate to admit that right now, but I still <laughs> like to watch it. Don't get the idea that we're like we're sitting around at the church watching the monitor. But when I go home, I like to watch it every now and then just to see the business trends in the world. And here's what we know. There are good times and there are bad times. It, it, it's market equilibrium. It's going to happen. And we wish for good times, and we're in the greatest bull market of all time right now, but at some point... It's going to change. It's going to change. My husband's in finance, too, and I, I hear the same words you're saying in my really? own home, whether or not I understand Inver- them. Inverted yield curve? I, I had to throw that in. I, I hear, okay. I hear you these things. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I don't know what it means, yeah. Okay, I hear sorry. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, there's talk about when's the next recession? When's it going to happen? Listen, we don't know when it's going to happen, and don't drive yourself crazy trying to figure figure that out, but just begin to put things back for the rainy days, the rainy days of when, okay, something may happen to my company, there may be unemployment, there may be some kind of recession, and I may not get paid as much this year. Maybe I'd like to retire someday, and yes, there's Social Security, but what kind of life would I like in retirement, and can I provide for a lot of that? And here's my word to 22-year-olds right now. Our friend, compounding interest. So, What that means is the earlier you start saving, the more you're going to save. So let me give you an example. If you save $100 a month, $1,200 a year, the the, the stock market generally yields 10%, but let's cut that back to something more conservative, 7% or 8%. That $1,200 becomes $300,000 by the time you're 62 years old. If you could save $200 a month, that's $600,000 by the time you're 60. It's because when you start saving early, 
the gains, pile on top of the gains, pile on top of the gains, and it becomes something big. And that's why the Bible, the Bible actually has a verse on this. It says, steady, plot, steady plotting makes you rich. Hasty speculation makes you poor. I love that you can get this kind of stuff from Scripture. Isn't you know, it? we think <laughs> right. it's like, oh, it's just right. this ancient literature right. that can't speak to what we're talking about today. But you just talked about compound real. interest for 22-year-old millennials who need to be saving. Uh, absolutely. Theology. Yeah, basically. Absolutely. And listen, it, it, don't feel guilty if you haven't been I know, saving. I'm thinking, like, right? I wish yeah. there was a time machine yeah. and I could <laughs> no. go back and tell 22-year-old Stacy to. Well, well, it just means you need to save more at this point. Yes. But but it's okay. Say something. Uh, because even even in a 10-year cycle, a 20-year cycle, the compounding really makes a difference. And here's the thing. Don't panic because the other part of that verse is hasty speculation brings disaster or poverty. And so a lot of people get in trouble and then they think, okay, I got to bet on the next stock tip I hear that's super speculative. So I go out and look at Bitcoin and Bitcoin can be up 50%. So let me put a bunch of money in Bitcoin. Sometimes that's like playing the lottery. Yeah. And and what the Bible says is don't do that. Do steady plotting. Don't try to be speculative because we all know and we've heard those disastrous stories where people gamble with their money, yeah. essentially. And they lose everything. They lose everything. Well, I love that you connected it back to Joseph in the Old Testament. They're actually currently in our kids' ministry talking about Joseph. And mm. my son was talking about it today just from the idea of Joseph um, being in prison and that his brothers. But the idea that that Joseph helped Pharaoh steward mm-hmm. what God had given. And Pharaoh was not a believer, mm. but that Joseph helped Pharaoh steward the grain and the, the resources They're of the land. They're teaching that down there. They are. That's fabulous. They're teaching that. And, and I awesome. think about what you talked about with stewardship is that it's not just our finances. Right. It's everything that's God, that God's given us. And then in this oh, case, yeah. like you mentioned, it was the grain because famine was coming and they were going to be able to feed the world. But yeah. it's yeah. so much more than that. It's so much more. And I love this topic because now it helps me reconcile something I struggled with for years. And that is what is the purpose of my job? What's the purpose of a finance role? What's the purpose of a construction form? What's the purpose of fill in the blank? Any and job. It, and, and here it is. So God put us on this earth to have a relationship with us. That, that he, we know that in Genesis. But he created this earth, and then he said to Adam and Eve, multiply, be fruitful, and have dominion over the ant- land and the sea. So have dominion over it. And people read that, and they go, okay, that means we can use it for whatever we want. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, take what I have created and cultivate it. Mm. Make it better. Do right by it. Do right by the animals. Do right by the flowers and utilize it to make this world even better than what I created. And so what that takes is farmers. What that takes is accountants. What that takes is bankers who all bring that together to cultivate. That's good stewardship. Oh, that's exciting. That makes me want to live a life of generosity as opposed to feeling like I'm obligated to give the church a tenth of my salary Mm -hmm. because it's... Uh, dictated right. to me, it right. makes me want to live that way because God has asked me to steward all of this. He's yes. asked me to steward my children, yes. my marriage, my relationships. I mean, all of it. That's right. that's exciting to me. Totally exciting. And he owns it. He blesses us with it. And we get this great privilege now to do something with it in relationship with him. It, it brings it all together for me. And it was so exciting as I transitioned from a secular job into pastoral work. 
Mm. Well, would you um, would you pray for our friends that are listening? I'd love to close out and pray for those who are are listening right that that say that sounds great, but I'm I'm just I'm drowning under debt. Mm. Like I I think what you guys are saying is great. I get it. Yeah. I want to live that kind of life. I, I want to feel this freedom. I want to surrender. But right now, my debt is yelling at me. It's almost it's the end of September. Those October bills are rolling in, and they're all due on October 5th. Yeah. Would you pray for yeah. us and close yeah. us out? Yes. Thanks so much, Steve. Yes. Lord God, thank you, first of all. We come to you with a spirit of gratitude for the life you've given us. And beyond that, you gave us eternal life through your son. So we thank you for that this morning, first of all. Lord, uh, there are many of us uh, who face debt in our lives, uh, that we have consumed things and have built up obligations that it feels like a mountain that we cannot overcome. Lord, I pray grace right now for all of us. Lord, we cannot live without your grace. And so wherever we are financially, I pray grace and freedom right now in our spirit, no matter what the balance sheet says, that we would feel that grace And out of that grace and freedom, then we can move forward, Lord, with wisdom, with wise counsel, with folks you have put here in our path on earth to help us figure out how to move forward and to repay our obligations. Lord, you want us to repay them. You say that is the right thing for us to do. And, Lord, I believe that you can help give us guidance in how to do that. Lord, help us to take one step at a time. Remember that steady plotting that you told us about, Lord. Help us to steady plot with our debt, with our savings, with our lives, just taking every moment, Lord, to enjoy what you've given us and then to do the right thing, Lord, according to your will. So I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom, you give us foresight, that you help those of us who are in debt, to repay that debt and to give us guidance. Lord, uh, I I pray you uh, direct people here to this church, Lord, for wise counsel and wise classes, like the the classes we offer here, if uh, that help is really needed, that you get them here supernaturally uh, to take advantage of that. We trust you, Lord, in all things, and we proclaim you as the provider of all. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. This is great. I hope you guys uh, found it as helpful as I did. Again, I wish I could talk to 22-year-old Stacy and go back and start (laughs) saving because that that number of compounding interest is kind of inspiring. But I hope you guys have a great week. We will see you next week where we're going to continue our conversation in margins, but talking about relationships. See you next week.